Welcome to episode 11 of the Fringe in Review. And the wind is howling outside Fringe Review's headquarters here in the Garden Shed in Brighton in the UK. And I could say things are looking up, uh, even though we're in a really difficult time in the world still, and we're still in lockdown. But the green shoots of uh, emerging from lockdown are certainly out there in the media. Uh, and what does that mean? That means the possibility that theatres uh, are going to be allowed to reopen outdoor theatres, but also indoor spaces within a matter of months. Uh, that also means that when we hear about the Brighton Fringe, uh, which was moved a bit later to June here in the UK, that Brighton Fringe is happening. We don't know exactly what form it will take, but that could also be a fringe that has the beginnings of, and whether and how sustainable it is, we don't know, but socially distanced theatre, uh, a theatre that's going to be indoors and outdoors and still online. And as you know, we were covering the Living Record Festival, uh, which was uh, a real success. And that was a lot of shows online, uh, live and recorded. And there certainly has been that development towards the digital platform. So what does that mean? Well, we've got Brighton Fringe. There's some green shoots. Um, there are the newspapers, uh, if you're troubling to read them, particularly up in Scotland, are talking about a call from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival Society, you know, wanting clarity on what form, if any, uh, an outdoor fringe, an indoor fringe, a physical world fringe can take place this autumn so it's not cancelled for the second time. Their website says the fringe is under construction um, and that they're going to reveal uh, what form it's going to take but that they've committed to the fringe being back in August pretty much for the whole month in whatever form it takes and if that's last year certainly in some sort of digital form but if they can find out what is possible, they need a lead time, the venues need a lead time to be able to open up in whatever form they can take so we can have an Edinburgh fringe. Now you might think uh, these big fringes are the only fringe scene, but we're not talking about that at all. We're talking about fringe festivals all around the world. And we're talking about the whole artistic community of performing arts in all its different forms, also being able to open up and for audiences to be able to go and see them. But, I could sound a bit kind of jealous, but over in Australia, which had its own very limited lockdown, has uh, dealt with COVID in its own way. But what it's meant, certainly for Adelaide Fringe, one of the world's biggest arts festivals, is it's been a more local uh, fringe. We're not having people flying in internationally. As it's been able to open up, uh, companies from other cities have been able to come to Adelaide Fringe. It has a huge number of shows in socially distanced venues um, and I wanted to know what was going on. So I managed to talk to producer um, Amy Kendall, who also is a Fringe Review reviewer. And uh, she's going to be my first guest. And she's going to talk a little bit about, well, live really from um, Adelaide Fringe, which has got one more week to run as we uh, as we record this right now. Uh, and so Amy gives us a really interesting update. Um, and then we get another update from somebody with quite a lot of shows that are under the banner of her company uh, over in uh, Australia too. And she talks about her own show too. The Reichstag is burning, and that's Joanne Hartstone. And we had quite a long chat, not just about Adelaide Fringe, but about what it's been like to be making theatre in Australia. Um, and we've been talking about uh, Edinburgh Fringe too, because that is something that producers from all over the world, but interestingly, quite a lot from Australia, bring work to the Edinburgh Fringe and find work at the Edinburgh Fringe as an international marketplace or showcase. And that may not be happening for the second year running. So she's been reflecting on the kind of year that she's had too. So two guests, we're, I guess, live at Adelaide Fringe. 
but I'm hoping we're going to be live at uh, Fringes physically too. My own city in Brighton in June, um, and then hopefully we're going to get the opportunity to go elsewhere. What I am hearing, pivoting around the word pivot, is it's not going to be the same as it was. There is no return to normal. And for a lot of people, uh, some of the humongous fringe festivals were in a state of abnormality, not normal. Um, and there was something monstrous about the costs, for example, of Edinburgh and the sustainability uh, in a world that is trying to deal very quickly with climate change. So I know that the people at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe are imagining uh, and hopefully imagining some form of Edinburgh Fringe that's not just online this August but also needing to look way beyond that about what kind of fringe is possible that can bring benefit to the city, brings in an enormous amount of revenue um, in a city that also benefits from its own tourism. But what's it going to look like uh, this year but also 2022 and beyond? So uh, sit back as we head over at least virtually to the Adelaide Fringe and our first guest Amy Kendall. I'm joined by Amy Kendall over in Australia. Amy how's life in lockdown over there? Hi well we haven't actually been in lockdown for five or six months now. Wow I had been reading about that but I didn't quite believe it for some reason. Yeah, we, we, we did have the world's shortest lockdown of three days. Um, that was back in, oh no, that was in November. So we haven't had any real activity since then. So has theatre been pretty normal over there? Can you just go out to the theatre? Because I've been hearing, of course, Adelaide Fringe did put a very strict limit on, you know, no international flights in. So it's a very different Adelaide Fringe, isn't it? It is. And we don't have as many um, interstate events either because... During the last few weeks, Melbourne went into lockdown quite briefly um, for another couple of weeks. So it meant artists from Melbourne couldn't come over and Perth had a five-day lockdown as well. So we haven't had a huge number of anything other than local performers. Um, so what's, but, that, what's that been like? Well, it's, it's actually given a lot of the local artists um, and performers the chance to to get their audiences increased by previous years because they're not competing with the international and um, sort of interstate-based comedians and, and things like that that they'd normally compete against. So audiences actually have increased for some of the smaller shows that wouldn't normally get audiences. The venues themselves have a few different restrictions. So if you have a 50% capacity... You don't have to wear a mask. If you have a 75% or above capacity, you do have to wear a mask. So that's really been the only venue-based restrictions other than um, rearranging the, the seating and things like that. And how about for you as someone that's a producer? I mean, that's clearly had an impact on your ability to, as you might do at the Edinburgh Friends too, just to... Uh, go into that mode of in some ways repetition of bringing more shows going through you know all the excitement of new work and so on but but you've kind of been stopped a bit in your tracks haven't you yeah so I haven't actually um been involved as much in this year's Adelaide Fringe because of that very reason but I know a lot of other producers that have just managed to um source a whole lot more local talent I guess which is not a bad thing and a lot of other artists have also been able to write their own works as well and, and get them up and running quite quickly. But so, so going into a venue that's socially distanced in some ways, yeah. you know, limited, what does that feel like to you? 
So I went and saw a show um, at one of our bigger venues on Friday night and other than a mask, it actually didn't feel any different. The only restriction we had is that you couldn't sit directly next to someone that you didn't know. So if you came with a party of four and then there was a party of three next to you, there just had to be one seat between you. Um, So other than that, that venue actually felt quite normal. Some of the other smaller venues that that's... Um, change their seating around it just meant that you're sitting in tables and um, a lot of pod like seating and things like that so those venues do feel a little bit um, I guess you've got a lot of open space but sort of sort of other than that I, th- I think everyone's just grateful we're getting to put a fringe on at all well also in the Edinburgh you know I've heard a few people say that if it was like that this year you know with 50 percent um, audience capacity you know if you if you managed to fill that you'd be 10 times more audience than usual well, and that's the thing. And I think, yeah, I mean, a lot of shows are actually getting the experience of selling out. Now, you could look at it one way is that, well, they've got less seats to sell. But in the other respect, yeah, a lot of these, these smaller companies and venues are getting the opportunity to, to sell all their seats and, and sell them to people that they might not normally get to sell them to. So it, it's yeah. a good feeling for a lot of different people. And those kind of social hubs, those entertainment hubs, which for the bigger fringes is a big part of their revenue, what's things like the Garden of Unearthly Delights been like? So that is quite different. Um, a lot of those venues that had or would have had a lot of pop-up things like buskers and um, those, those you know, shows every 15 minutes and we'll come in and, and see something while you've got a gap. They have unfortunately haven't been able to go ahead. So there is a lot more open space in those sort of venues the food stalls and and things like that are are quite targeted you have set areas for food stalls set areas for um seating and a lot of those venues have actually split themselves in two so they're sort of like sub hubs i guess but Mm. again i think that the atmosphere when i was there the other night was was quite pleasant um everyone was doing the right thing we have a lot of qr code checking systems and and taking down your details and things like that. But I think, again, people are just grateful that we are getting to experience this when so many people across the world just can't imagine what that would be like yet. And so for people that say these so-called fringe festivals all got rather too big, in some ways is this an opportunity for them to take a breath and reflect? Well, it kind of is. It's almost um, brought back a lot of what the fringe did used to be, which is the opportunity for anybody and everybody to get their own work on stage and seen by an audience. And in past years, you know, when we've had, and this doesn't sound anywhere near as big as Edinburgh, but when we broke the 1,000 and 1,200 shows per festival, a lot of those smaller places, smaller people just got so discouraged that they weren't even giving it a shot. Whereas I think this has just opened up that opportunity and it feels a lot more like what Fringe used to be uh, in that anybody can put on a show. Now, of course, as people rightly say, it is all about the work. And you said you'd seen a show. I know you might see a few more. So, mm-hmm. without giving too much away, what what have you enjoyed? Um, well, I've seen a I've, I saw a, a comic musical type show, which was actually all about COVID, which was quite funny because it was from an artist from another state who is quite incredulous about the fact that Adelaide has so quickly returned back to normal. Um, or COVID normal, I guess. But I've also seen um, a few uh, music circus type acts. I've got my first online show that I'm seeing tomorrow night because we've got a lot of artists who have embraced the whole 
streaming at the same time as live performances so more people can get to see the work. Um, but, yeah, everything I've seen has just been really well done. It's certainly things I've been hearing here too. Um, and, you know, the whole transformation of work online too is probably something we're not going to, we're not going to leave that behind when we just come back into the physical world. There's, there's been a whole new platform created, really. It has. And I think it's going to be, I'm hoping that people will see it as an opportunity to expand their viewing and not just narrow down their perceptions and leave it, well, you know, we only need to see work online now because we don't need to leave the home. I'm hoping it can be a good balance between, in addition to what they already see, not a replacement. So we'll be in the future as to whether or not more people feel less inclined to go out I guess but I guess that will evolve over time. And for somebody like you in that kind of production space if we do go back to some kind of normality around the world I mean do you think will things be any different for you? Um, I think they will in the sense that I think there's probably going to be, even with, with vaccines and things like that, there's always going to be some sort of restriction in place at least for another couple of years and whether that means reduced seating capacities or it means that atmospheres outside venues change because you're not going to have the hubs of activity and things like that um, are, going to, are going to be the main change. But, yeah, I guess going through the future, I think it is going to be interesting to see whether or not it has discouraged people from going out, whether or not there's that sort of um, hesitation. But I think, that, yeah, that's only going to be something we're going to notice over time, I guess. Uh, well, I guess also if there are restrictions, it does sound like, you know, may maybe one of the good things. And there are other, of course, fringe festivals and cabaret festivals and stuff in, in Australia. This does seem like a, a good break for local. Yeah, and, and it really is. And I think that's what I've noticed in a lot of the venues I've seen is that, you know, you would see the listing of the performances and it would be, you know, a couple of South Australian, but then interstate or, you know, UK, America and everything like that. But you just see venues now where the lineup is, you know, two thirds South Australian and then the other third has come from interstate. I mean, we do still have, I think, maybe one or two international acts, but actually that's because they never left Australia in the first place. When we went into lockdown last year, they got caught here and they just never left. Um, so, yeah, it is great to see so many South Australian-based companies yeah, getting that shot. And I know you're doing a bit of um, reviewing for Fringe Review too. So if we just forget COVID for a moment, what, what kind of work do you like to look for, Amy? I, I like most works, any works really. I mean, I've got um, a sort of a, a soft spot for theatre, but that's because that's where I was trained and that's where um, I've... I have experienced most of my work, but so far, yeah, I've seen musical comedy. I've seen um, circus, cabaret slash opera. Um, I'm just looking for anything really that's a bit different and, yeah, I, I can enjoy. Well, I think over here in the UK, we're sort of envious of the lack of lockdown that we've been reading about and watching in <laughs> Australia, but hopefully we're going to gain some of that freedom in the next few months. Amy, thanks for talking to Fringe Review and stay well. That's okay. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. So Amy's talking about a responsible fringe there, really, because COVID is a risk. And though cases in Australia are so much lower than anywhere else, almost brought 
under control you know for a period of time and the last thing that they want is Adelaide Fringe to be in the headlines for all the wrong reasons Amy's suggesting that there's still an atmosphere an atmosphere people look for at fringe festivals where they can flow around and that the social energy becomes as vibrant as the work that you see uh, and as stimulating in all kinds of different ways and that's about venue design but also of course all the givens about making venues safe for everybody that, that are there safe and accessible and so Amy's optimistic and is positive about her experience of Adelaide Fringe which is happening right now and I guess there's a lot of learning that needs to be gained uh, as fringe festivals such as my own uh, city in Brighton and as the the rules become clearer about whether and what form Edinburgh Fringe might take and other venues reopening certainly the West End in London has the same dilemmas about uh, will it be able to effectively and responsibly create venues that aren't socially distanced that can you know go beyond losing money uh, and going past that uh, crucial break-even point and being able to go beyond that in the order to be able to invest in the future as well uh, that 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 responsibility becomes part of the well-being of a fringe and we don't normally notice that but this now becomes a very very critical foundation certainly i would say this year maybe beyond where you start to notice how safe you feel uh, whereas we all just kind of took that for granted and so venues become places i think and and fringes that are louder in some ways because people are looking and listening out for safety they're looking and listening out to ensure that they they can in some ways feel safe enough to be able to watch the work without worrying and what i'm hearing certainly from amy is that that's the case at adelaide fringe that they're able to create an atmosphere but this is no longer you know heaving with people laughing drinking whatever it is that you want from a, an arts festival so it was interesting also and important i think to talk to uh, somebody who's making work who's performing work and also what's interesting about joanne hartstone and um, her team um, has been the importance of embracing i mean she talks about needing to be ahead of the game or at least up with the game about the digital world too and as we emerge from lockdown all around the world it's looking like the digital space is no longer a plug-in but simply becomes part of the fabric a fringe theatre work and I know some people uh, listen to this with horror and other people this has been not the new normal but normal for a long while but so Adelaide Fringe is happening there is work there people are able to wander have a drink get a bite to eat go and see a show and so on pretty much as normal uh, within the boundaries of a world in a pandemic so fascinating chat with Joanne Hartstone. So at, at last, at last, I make contact Hi, with Adelaide on the other side of the world from a uh, locked. <laughs> How are you? Uh, Joe, yeah, good. Before we find out what you all the good stuff happening at Adelaide Fringe, just give us an update for uh, what everyone around the world really. Things haven't been the quite quite the same in Australia. You guys have been been walking around and making work and stuff yeah absolutely we've we've been really lucky in south australia we've we had um a three-day lockdown um because of a covid situation in november i think it was um and then since then we've we've had it under control it's always you know kind of lurking in the background um and other states in australia haven't been 
um, as fortunate as South Australia, but we're three and a half weeks into uh, a festival with a week to go and we've been great. You know, it's been handled really, really well. So lucky probably, um, but also a lot of hard work by a lot of people to manage it. So <laughs> yeah, it's been really it's bizarre. We're not even wearing masks to the shops. <laughs> it's odd. <laughs> and one, one or two of the yeah, one or two of the Adelaides I've spoke to said in some ways this has been really good for Adelaide's own community because it's opened the door to audiences for the locals making work as well. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of the program is local work. And I think that that's been really fantastic to see um, the local work shine as much as it has this year. Um, I think, you know, local work, yes, there's also been a lot of um, Sydney and um, Melbourne artists coming over and luckily we were able to halfway through the festival well for the first half of the festival Melbourne um, artists weren't able to come over Um, but then they got that under control as well and the borders got opened and artists could come over and show their show their work so um, it's been a very Australian focused festival shall we say that that's been really nice I think Um, yeah, yeah to see the to see our work really being highlighted as you know still great <laughs> now you you make work you write work you direct work mm-hmm. you produce work you've you of course you perform you don't just do one show as a producer you bring work to mm-hmm. to the public not just your own but others so that portfolio how how has that been impacted though by by covid i mean have you had to scale back do things differently or has it been pretty much the same for you uh well this year we've actually changed a lot of our focus um so it's sort of difficult i have to talk to you with like one hat on and then i'll talk to you with another hat on another hat on um but so this year one of the uh innovations that um, my partner tom kitney and i have um had a look at is live streaming Uh, And this has been one of the biggest impacts, I think, for our practice of this certain uh, year, uh, that we thought live streaming and digital is going to be the best way to reach audiences um, and to make sure that, you know, we're we're staying ahead of whatever may be thrown at us. Uh, And so this year with Adelaide Fringe, we have... um, well, we will be by the end of it have broadcast 48 live performances across five weeks, uh, which I believe makes us the largest live streaming venue in the world at the moment. Um, certainly pioneering the idea of a hybrid in person and digital. Uh, festival um, or fringe festival Um, and it's been received really well really really well often we've had more audiences watching from home or online than we have in a sold out uh, show so it's it's been a really great change and Black Box Live has been um, also it won an award last week for the John Chataway Award for Innovation um, which we're really really proud of and I think that this is it's been, you know, there's been swings and roundabouts with this pandemic. Um, and for us, being able to uh, create something like Black Box Live has been a real privilege. And I think a lot of people are going to um, have a look at that model uh, and what we've been doing. And uh, I think it will grow from there. And just in terms of, I know all the right answers to this Go question <laughs> for producers is to say, oh, it's great. We're live streaming. It's brilliant. It's a new opportunity. And I'm sure... That is true in different ways. But for you as somebody, I've seen your work as a performer, 
as a writer. How does it feel having your work live streamed? I love it. Um, so with my new show, The Reichstag is Burning, um, when Tom designed the show, he's actually put bits in the show which are designed to be better live streamed uh, or on camera than they are in person. There's a beautiful blue laser effect that he does towards the end of the show, which uh, when you see it on camera, it looks completely different to when you see it in real life. And so he's utilised his knowledge of what, um, I, I guess it's sort of like camera flickers and things like that and the way um, a, a video is recorded and he's actually in utilised that and made a different kind of hybrid art form. Um, and so therefore for me as a performer, when, I, when I've got a camera on me as well as in person, I know I have the ability to um, psychologically as my, with my performance become much smaller at times because I know there's a close-up camera on me. So I can play a much larger depth of emotion with more subtlety at times um, because I know I've got this hybrid audience <laughs> watching me. And I think that that's, it's a real challenge, but I, I kind of love it. I think there was times that Tom has even said to me, you were playing a lot for the close-up tonight. It was really good. <laughs> it looked really nice on the screen. And, of course, the audience seeing it, they kind of get drawn into the performance even more because I'm not shouting it out at them. I'm asking them to come to me with it. Uh, so I suppose they're <laughs> two of the right answers that you probably thought were coming, Paul. Um, but so I think, you know... Well, just I guess I've heard different. I've heard different views. Some people saying they'll never do it. Other people have really embraced yeah. it. We don't need to play that conversation out here. But I'm also aware, you know, and the people at the Royal Shakespeare Company were doing this way before lockdown. Mm. Is um, we've always been talking about the sustainability of theatre mm. that you can come to Edinburgh anywhere and lose your shirt. This actually creates the possibility of having thousands in your audience paying customers. Indeed, it does. But I mean, then you also have a marketing um, job to do before you before you do it. People need to know. They need to buy tickets. They need to schedule it into their, you know, busy schedules either at home or you know at a at the parents' house or wherever they're going to be when they see the show. Um, and I think that when you're at home, there's so much on demand that scheduling yourself into a performance that I think that's the challenge that we still have yet to overcome and I think that that is actually a marketing kind of you know um thing I guess <laughs> you know we need to, to is it bad to say educate people about this kind of choice to make that you can access theatre at a certain time in your home but you kind of have to be a bit disciplined to see it and you can't just you know switch on the the a channel or you know on demand or something um, and, of course, on-demand is a different thing as well. I have done on-demand versions of my shows and I think actually I get a better reaction when it's live. Um, people know that it's live and you can only watch it at a certain time um, because when it's on-demand they sort of think, oh, I'll watch that whenever or I'll watch it later or I'll watch it when I go to bed. And then when you have to pay for it, um, even though it's not very much money, it's $15 or something. Um, but even still, there's, there's still that there's still that hurdle, I think, that we need to overcome. But I do think people are doing it more and more. Um, and that's certainly been the results with Black Box Live, uh, is we've had hundreds and hundreds of people watching. As I said, often more watching online around the world, um, 
actually. There's been lo- loads of countries tuning in to see it. Um, obviously, they have connections to the performer or the performance or to the venue or they've, they're really keen on Adelaide Fringe and they've been and they wanted to see what else was on and if they could um, get access to anything. Um, but if we have more um, marketing power, I think that it really could change the conversation about theatre sustainability around the world. But, you know, then there's also the in real life factor. And in real life, I think perhaps might always be um, live stream, even if you're as clever as Tom Kitney and are able to pack your, your live performance with the hidden gems just for camera. Um, so Yeah, <laughs> and, but with, with that great, with that creative possibility, you know, of the different camera angles yeah. and the close-ups and going forward, you know, there's going to be actors carrying cameras around on them and yeah. there might even be different versions of shows with different camera angles and so on. Does that mean for you as the writer, when you write with that possibility in mind, you write differently or you even have more than one version of a script compared to the in-person well, live? Or is it pretty much no, the I, same for the writer point of view? you'd have to. If, if, if you're writing to incorporate a new technology into your performance, however that may be, like you have, you have to know what devices you're utilising, I guess, in that perspective. But then again, maybe you just start with the story that you're going to tell and then how you tell the story is part of utilising that technology. So I guess it's just part of the development process of, of a show. Um, I don't think I wrote The Reichstag is Burning for live stream um i wrote it for a a cabaret club you know that sort of environment um it's just along the way we've been able to adapt it um it it, through the design and through the from page to stage process uh to make it more accessible for live stream but i think you know if if you if the concept of your show is uh, characters are walking around with cameras on their on their shoulders and binaural um, microphones so that you hear that character's perspective. Um, I guess when you are writing, as long as you're not writing in isolation and you're working with someone who knows this technology, surely you've got to have that in the back of your mind. Um, well, when I write the next one, I'll let you know, Paul. <laughs> well, you're, you know, suggesting it, it might become the norm. So it's going to be, you know, maybe that's going to be a module on writing courses at universities. In terms of the face-to-face then, the live in person. Yeah. Um, and obviously I'm not, I'm not on the ground at Adelaide, but where we're now having to be careful for the coming months, maybe longer, and there's things like social distancing. Yes. Theatre is so much that shared experience. Yeah. Certainly in the pop-up venues at Edinburgh, you are pushing right against the person next to you. There is a sense of being packed in and close, but that creates that intimacy of that shared experience. Is that diminished by, you know, social distancing and so on? Um, it, well, not in our venues, I don't think. And actually there's been quite a few reviews which have talked about uh, our venue setup being really quite amazing this year. Um, we do have social distancing in place, um, but the way it's been designed, so for example, in the Black Box Theatre, uh, Tom has placed seats around cabaret tables. So they're all socially distanced. They're all facing one direction. Um, and they meet our SA Health uh, COVID management plan. Um, but actually, it doesn't feel like you're separate from each other because of the tables. Um, 
and then also you're just focused on the show. So I, I don't really think people have felt the loss of being squeezed up next to someone. Similarly, outdoors, we have checkerboard seating in the amphitheatre. Um, that's a little more challenging for children's shows because kids like to sit next to their parents and when you've got the space between um, the seating, it's, it's a little more difficult, I think. Um, and then in our open-air theatre, Again, it's around cabaret tables, so it's got that social distancing, but it still kind of feels like a theatrical uh, auditorium. Um, so, and I think that lots of venues actually around Adelaide, you know, they're, I think they're doing pretty well, to be honest with you. The spaces that I've seen, yeah, they're a bit spaced out, but actually I, I kind of like that, having a little bit of leg room and, you know, not having someone right there, which is great. Um, I think it does make it difficult, though, for producers and for artists and for venues in terms of capacity and therefore ticket income. I think that's been the biggest challenge that we've faced this year is that because we're on 50% capacity, it uh, it's certainly stretching budgets. Um, and I think that, that this is a huge consideration for Edinburgh coming up because even with social distancing um, in place, budgets are going to be really stretched because of the number of tickets you can potentially sell. So, you know, there's that question, I think, as well. I don't I don't think audiences will – it depends how the spaces are set up, but I think, I think that there is a way around this which doesn't make it feel sterile. And I think Adelaide's really shown that you can do it. But, I mean, we've no idea if Edinburgh Fringe is going to happen this year. And if it does, um, you know, the Scotsman's newspaper five days ago, Edinburgh Festival Fringe organisers admit 2021 comeback hopes are in limbo. Oh, really? So whatever happens with Edinburgh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't know. And it, yeah. if it comes back, one thing we know for sure is it's not coming back in the way it was. But, you know, there are hopes, of course, for it to return perhaps renewed and perhaps mm. more sustainable. But but you're, as somebody that brings your work to tr- to try it out, to showcase it, to meet other people in the industry, all kinds of reasons why people like yourself from the U- from uh, Australia, people from all over the world bring their work. If that's not happening, say, for a second year running, does that have an impact on what you do? Yes. Or have you just adapted and not noticed uh, a major difference? It does, difference? actually, because if there are other channels in which to find buyers of our work and to get those critical responses and to get the work to be seen without the price tag of Edinburgh. I guess the difficulty from an outsider is that we will find another avenue which is is available to us and Edinburgh will begin, and I very much hate to say this, but um, Edinburgh will begin to become redundant um, because you no longer need it. There are other ways in which to do it. Um, so I, I do think that that is a bit of a danger for outsiders. I think it's very vital, though, to the theatrical ecosystem of the UK. Um, and I think that it will come back because I think artists need that platform in order to showcase their work. But perhaps it will come back in a way that is a bit more sustainable for participants. I do, I do hope so, in a way that um, keeps the respect of all of the arts workers who are involved. Um, and gives them a bit more security, perhaps. Um, and, you know, the, the fables of Edinburgh and all the crowd crushing on the Royal Mile and all those sorts of things, I still think it's a really important festival to happen. But I do think that there is an opportunity here for um, Fringe Board and participants and venues to all kind of have a look at the modelling 
of how it all works and see if there are any bits that can be improved mm. upon um, and to lure those, in, well, I guess the, uh, lure yeah. those international artists back. By, yeah, and I guess, I guess they do. Sorry, go on. Yeah. Go on, Paul. Yeah. No, so I was going to say, I guess that's what they're doing. And in the Edinburgh Evening News, I don't normally quote newspapers, but Liam Rudden, who's, you know, well-known up in Scotland, talks about when producers talk of fears for the future of the Edinburgh Fringe, what they're really talking about is the future of those big commercial venues whose footprints on the event have grown exponentially since mm. the late 80s, mostly to the detriment of the hundreds mm. of smaller venues. And maybe that's what may shake up. I mean, yeah, potentially. I think, you know, because a lot of these bigger venues, uh, I think that they support a lot of work uh, coming out uh, to Edinburgh, but also they've got a very heavy footprint on hospitality. So their bars and their restaurants and the eating areas and those sorts of things, they're the things that really make a lot of money, but they're also very attractive to, um, to punters. So I guess if you're not able to offer that kind of level of hospitality with, you know, 17 bars across, you know, a kilometre or something, um, then, of course, it's, that's going to have a massive impact also on people who go to Edinburgh just to go and have a massive party and see some art and, you know, see shows and have a full life hedonistic experience every year. Um, I, I guess I'm a little bit of an optimist in thinking that I don't think Edinburgh Fringe will be over. I think it will come back, but I think we'll come back in a different format and it will have to work out its identity once again. And I do think that um, mm. the hospitality elements, I'm not sure that the the UK will recover from the need for social distancing for a while. I think that people will continue to practice wearing masks and, you know, stand, wanting to not stand in massive crowds and things like that. Um, I think, yeah, I think that will be, that will be moving forward for a little while anyway. And I think that the festival and artists will adapt and we'll, we'll see how, how it works. Now, yeah. Yeah, now, ultimately, of course, it's all about the work. So just tell us a little bit about uh, the Reichstag uh, so is burning. It's a, it's a postmodern cabaret for a world on fire. Um, I wrote it because uh, this year my tours were cancelled. Edinburgh wasn't happening. Uh, no international touring. So uh, the high school that I do relief teaching at um, asked me to take a uh, semester contract. They asked me to teach history. And the part of history they asked me to teach year tens was um, the Treaty of Versailles. So after the First World War and the lead up to the Second World War and then, of course, the Second World War and a little bit beyond. Um, and so I quickly brushed up on my history and my dates and what was going on. And I just saw that history was re repeating itself uh, with how a nationalist, um, fascist uh, uh, party, uh, the Nazi party, were enabled into power by a coalition with other conservative right-wing political parties. Um, and then I sort of went, oh, isn't that how Trump got into power? Oh, that's really interesting. Um, and saw loads of parallels. Um, and I felt the need to address it somehow in a way that remembered that art is a is the way to counteract political ideologies that are dangerous for society uh right wing or left wing you know we have to use our culture 
and our art forms to keep our leaders accountable and to shine a light on outrageous behaviour or hurtful behaviour. Um, and so I thought, well, also, why not a cabaret? <laughs> At this stage, we knew that if we were running a venue, we would have to do social distance. Um, and so we had already had in mind that the space was going to be cabaret tables. Um, and also, I had just had a job um, offer, which I'm now uh, part of the way through, as a mentor for the Adelaide Cabaret Festival's class of cabaret. So all of these things were sort of screaming at me, do, do a cabaret, do a cabaret. Um, and, you know, what a perfect time to borrow styling from the Weimar Cabaret uh, and then to have a look at um, the period of time in which Hitler and the Nazi Party purged culture and chopped it down. And because there was no one holding them accountable, you know, uh, and also because of all of their illegal <laughs> dealings and um, uh, murders, etc., um, they were able to seize power and become a dictatorship and it obviously led to unspeakable acts um, and uh, and war. Mm. So it's just, I, I had a review the other day that described my character as a cabaret Cassandra, you know, sort of the warning from the past wow. for the future and a reminder um, that it can happen again. And I actually think that's completely apt Um that you know this this certainly is uh just a reminder that democracy is fragile uh and we need to be vigilant um and to and to and yeah. to embrace culture in a year where let's face it the arts has suffered probably the most out of any industry because of the lack of being able to get together and create and reflect and share the work um so that was also a motivating factor i think was to remember the importance of art within a society, that it's not just about, you know, going out and having a good time. It's actually also about societal reflection and personal reflection um, and growth uh, and planting ideas and sharing ideas and quickening of the minds, um, all of those all of those things. So that's the Reichstag is burning is a bit timeless. It uses... Um, songs from the era, but also then songs all the way through uh, the last century. Uh, again, to remind people that this mm. is not just this happened then. It's to say this is this happened constantly since all throughout, and it still can happen again. Yeah. Uh, so that is the Reichstag is burning. Um, we've had a great reviews. We've yeah. so so apart from yeah. So apart from the, you know, the devastation that a lot of people had about tours cancelled yeah. and all of that, you create a new piece, you yeah. write it, you get to rehearse it, you get to perform it at the yes. Adelaide Fringe, which is going on. It sounds like sounds like a terrible <laughs> lockdown for you, Joanne. I, I, I feel a little bit bad actually talking about it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think Adelaide, we are very fortunate to be here. We're very fortunate to have the community that we do that uh, works so hard to make festivals happen. Um, we've got an amazing season at Black Box Theatres. We've got 20 shows over four venues. And so far we've won seven awards at, uh, from three weeks um, of work. Uh, every show in the Black Box has won an award, which is absolutely remarkable. Um, and we've had people being able to 
stream us around the world, watch us live. Like it, there's a lot of really positive things happening. Um, but I guess everyone is aware that we're doing this on the backdrop of a global pandemic. And so even though this is still happening, it's almost it almost feels like we're holding the flame for everyone, saying, don't worry, we're keeping it alive. There's still this in the world. We'll still have it again. Don't you worry, just be patient. Um, and hopefully by then, you know, we will at least have something to continue the conversation with everybody else once the world can open up. And I have full faith that it will. Yeah. Humans are very amazing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I yeah. guess that's my final question to you. It's something I've been asking everybody this year, the same question. And beyond the, I mean, the arts world often answers fine to this question. Great, yeah. wonderful, how are you? Great, wonderful. But then behind that, of course, there's something else. And despite, you know, the good news, mm. you had tours cancelled, we're in an uncertain place. So how are you? Thank you for asking that question. I think that it's a really important question that we need to ask each other more, actually. I think that, um, so to answer it succinctly, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty, pretty good. Um, I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> it is, hang on, what time is it speaking to you? It's 10 past one in the morning at the moment. Uh, so I think I'm doing pretty good for 10 past one in the morning, having done a full yeah. night of shows um, and running a venue that had matinees this afternoon. Uh, so, you know, going pretty great. I think that this year has had to teach a lot of people how to be resilient um, and I think resilience is a theme that has come up again and again through my communities and friends and family and colleagues and things like that. Um, and, and I think that it's also t taught people a lot about themselves and how they are and how they cope. And I think this year it's a little bit odd. I, I, I don't know that we've necessarily experienced what the rest of the world has in Adelaide. Um, because as I said, we had three days of lockdown. It was supposed to be six. It ended up being three. So it was like cut short, which is one of the only times I think in the world that's happened. Um, and then, you know, thing, things have been shut, but then life has still gone on. So, you know, I've still been out teaching at a school around humans all the time, um, still walking my dog and, you know, all, all those sorts of things, being able to go to the shops whenever I like and restaurants are open and um, the art scene is certainly thriving uh, at the moment in Adelaide. Uh, it wasn't always. It did shut down for, for quite some time. Um, so I think, so I'm okay. I'm in a really good place, I think. And I think a lot of people here in Adelaide are in a good place. I think that I really want to reach out to my friends overseas and just ask the same question. And also, I want to ask you, Paul, how are you? So, I mean, that's a good question because people ask me back too. And so it's been a paradox. Fringe Review went into a kind of lockdown yeah. too, uh, we thought. Um, and then suddenly, the, to use the cliched word, the pivoting was all around taking work yeah. online. Um, and I noted again recently, I think we've reviewed about 350 shows of different forms of digital performance since lockdown started, and that number's rising. And my review team, who range anywhere, you know, in age from 20 yeah. to, you know, in their 80s, 
there's been reactions. Some have said they'd rather die than watch stuff online and they're waiting for something to return. Others have really embraced it. So for me, in terms of being Fringe Review editor, it's been something of a revelation about how creative the arts community is in that they want they, yeah. they want their work out there and we use whatever available they can. But now coming out of it, hopefully, uh, a lot of theatre makers, a bit like you, have got two versions of their shows or two yeah. possibilities, which is the streaming online arts world which is potentially a new source of uh, viable revenue and then but missing being in the theater where you can you know uh, smell yeah. your audience basically in terms of the broad side of things um i'm in fringe review headquarters i'm in the garden shed um i feel blessed to have a yeah, garden um i feel blessed that you know able to go through this with quite a degree of freedom once you accept that if all you have is your garden you know so many prisoners of conscience have said a different creative panorama uh, rises up when you don't have the complication of the mediocrity of all the shops in town that actually your your imagination can open up even more and i've done more thinking uh than and writing and creating than i would have done with more freedom and that's a really humble paradox it's, it swings and roundabouts isn't it you know, it's the same with the way that we've, dare I say, pivoted our practice, um, that, that you do find the positives. You find, you, you know, obviously I'm sure you want the world to, to go back to some kind of abnormality. Um, but, you know, I, I guess that, you know, you've described yourself. You've found the positives. You've changed the practice to suit the environment. And it sounds like you've done it really well. Um you know but I I guess I'm really proud of you <laughs> I'm really impressed that you've done all of those all of that self-reflection and you've had that time to you know you've had this experience in your life to be able to you know find the humbleness of your garden and also work from home and you know that sort of thing and yet you're still sound as excited by the arts as you ever have which is a wonderful thing. I, you know, you've ha you found the way back to, to the arts. And I guess artists always will, won't we? It's in our blood. <laughs> but it is interesting. I had a solo show. I had a solo show uh, that I was going to perform in Liverpool last year and the mm. event was cancelled. And I've decided, and I haven't really looked into it too deeply, that I didn't want a digital version of it. And if I do that show, it's going to be when we're allowed to uh, in the physical world. So I know people have made that that choice too. And I guess, as you say, it swings, it swings and roundabouts. Well, I want to wish you well for all that you're doing. And uh, whenever we can all meet again, whether that's, um, you know, in Edinburgh or not, if, you know, people will fly over in the post-lockdown world, I'm not sure. But however uh, that goes, it sounds like you're having a really good time. And our five-minute <laughs> interview has now uh, 31 minutes. So, um, Joe, thanks for talking thank to Fringe Review, Joanne Hartstone. And thank you, Paul. So, Black Box Theatre has made some live work, and that live work was triggered, like so many people, by the limitations put on lockdown. And for me, the glorious paradox that, in some ways, the more we are physically inhibited sometimes the more we creatively flourish and bloom and so this piece of work is playing to great reviews at the Adelaide uh, Fringe Festival and it's getting audiences that are allowed do you get this they're allowed to walk in to physical spaces and see a physical piece of theatre but equally you can catch it online live streamed 
And Joe's been talking about some of the real practical challenges that can go around doing that. But the question becomes for you as theatre makers and for you as theatre watchers, is it's really okay for you to choose just to be in the physical world forever? And it's really okay for you to explore the commercial and creative possibilities of online platforms too. It can be either, it can be or. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be both. Interestingly too, the piece of work that has been uh, inspired by events is one that is kind of timeless in what it's talking about. And, and it's worth going to see because the Reichstag is burning and a lot of the issues that the piece raises uh, have things of course to say to us today. And that's something uh, that theatre creates that makes it vital is that we and particularly i would say also some historical theater that's out there which is it can help us make sense of the world today ask telling questions about our present and future because of the enduring impact of our history of our stories and theater as storytelling is going to be more at the heart of i'd say theater in the next few years as that pure impact of covid starts to echo we're still in it and some people are going to look back on it and find all kinds of inspiration and i think our attempts to move on and forget won't be very easy but there are technical challenges to live streamed quality theater and it has costs this is not just about filming it this is about uh, new creative possibilities and cameras and editing and videographers and directors of photography and lighting and placement that go beyond the physical theater space but i think i'm left excited by it as we're all restless to come out of lockdown i think some of us are screen sick we're sick of watching stuff and there's going to be a backlash against that but if these uh, approaches can start to develop the virtues in their own right, then a lot of people are just going to see it as part of the portfolio of when they go to see work. It's going to sometimes be digital, it's going to be sometimes physical, and sometimes it's going to be a mix of both, whether we put on VR headsets um, or we decide to see the live version, the streamed version and the recorded version. So uh, that's signing off from Adelaide Fringe and onwards, onwards in my case to hopefully the emergence of lockdown and wherever you are in the world, stay well, stay safe. <laughs>